This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. A real focus today on children's health, on education and parenting. Speaking of schools, teachers seem to be burnt out, stressed out and checking out of that profession. But why? We're talking about some of the pressures and hearing some of the challenges from you, the listener, with Dr. Beatrix Henkel, who specialises in helping teachers either leave the profession or stay there and fall back in love with it. We were asking, where are the weirdest and not most wonderful places you've had to breastfeed or express milk? The co-founder of a brand new company of nursing pods, explaining a very real problem for many women across the UAE. Discussing anxiety in pregnant women with a psychologist who specialises in maternal mental health. And the iPad debate. What should you know about your child's device at home and in school? And speaking of mental health, we were joined by the sufferer of a chronic illness who talks about the importance of mindset and managing her symptoms. Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Stressed out, burnt out, dropping out, teachers are leaving the classroom and a large-scale survey actually in the States over the summer, California in particular, confirmed what has emerged as... A byproduct, most likely, of the last two years of the pandemic. Large numbers of teachers characterised their work as, quote, stressful and exhausting. Nearly twice as many teachers than in the past say that job conditions have changed for the worse. And here in the region, expat teachers are facing a higher risk of experiencing symptoms of burnout because they're away often from their social support networks, adapting to a new culture, living in a transient environment, running the risk of feeling isolated, lonely and stressed. If this is ringing bells alarm bells with you, please do get in touch because joining us in the studio now is Dr. Beatrix Henkel, the founder of Race. She's a creative learning expert, a real passion for self-improvement, self-leadership. She's got 17 years in the field of international education and is on hand to share her experiences and also help you out if you need some support or advice for staying in the career and doing it in a way that doesn't damage your mental health um, or equally if you are thinking about leaving and exploring other avenues. Uh, Beatrix, thank you so much for being with us. Can I ask, what does RACE stand for? Yes, and thank you for having me, You're welcome. Helen. Um, RACE stands for Raising Awareness of Coaching and Education. And uh, this is an acronym we use to refer to the project we are working on. We are a group of uh, certified coaches, educators, parents, and uh, we are bringing in that small change step by step uh, that we are and we'll and We'll create that change. We'll create that transformation in education, in the classrooms, in uh, families, in educational systems and in many other parts of the world as well, not only UAE. I've always said there are two jobs that I could never do. I could never be a nurse. I could never be a teacher. Lockdown, distance learning was a disaster for my mental health and for my relationship with my child. And it was... So stressful. And if anything, it's really made me value my children's teachers so much more. For many, though, and I've got friends, um, a lot of my friends from school are school teachers now. They knew from a very early age that they wanted to be a teacher. It was almost like a calling. And it's not just a job. It's more of a vocation. Is that something that you've identified as well? Yes, 
And that starts with having some educators around you who are very passionate yeah, and care about you. Yes, as a person, you feel you feel cared for. You feel looked after. You feel like your voice matters. You mm. are important. And that's when that, what an educator brings into the life of kids. It can truly be life-changing to have someone that believes in you, someone that might open your eyes to opportunities or abilities. And I think we've all got those teachers that, you know, I can tell you now, Mrs. Anderson and Ms. Moore, that, Mr. Morell, who was my music teacher who inspired my my brother to you know become a jazz drummer you know these people are, are literally life-changing and I think what kind of breaks my heart about some of the stats we're seeing is a teacher can't be their best selves they can't be nurturing and inspiring if they're so stretched by paperwork by examinations and that's a lot of the feedback we're getting on the text line yes and I think you just absolutely hit the nail on the head because that's what is happening with more administrative work with more control over the teachers what we are really losing is the essence and that essence of the being of the teacher how Mm -hmm. the teacher is being there in the classroom in a learning conversation in a conversation with parents that's what we are we are really missing by bringing in so much administrative work but I also would like to raise one point here that it's also about giving away control and taking control back. So as, as a teacher, I'm also an individual and I'm also somebody who is giving away control if I'm allowing the school, the school environment, the obligations, the duties to cross those boundaries. And uh, this, this is something that I can take back by choosing to be me. And I think that's what we're going to be exploring a little bit. If people are committed to staying in, in their vocation that they've chosen, that they've worked so hard to get to and are now feeling disappointed by the reality, you know, what can you change in yourself and your environment to continue on that path? Or equally, if you are looking to leave, um, what options are available to you? And we've got lots of messages um, on this topic, lots of questions and calls as well. Have a listen to Lisa. I'm Lisa Davidge, the Assistant Head of Primary from the Arbor School, Dubai. I think that people often say that teachers are really lucky, they get loads of holidays, but the truth is that teachers really need that time to reset and refresh. When we're in the term time, it's really full on, it's really intense. There's a lot of prep that has to be done prior to lessons and then all the assessments that follow. And teachers do get overwhelmed and they do get tired. And to any any teachers listening today on your half-term break, please try to switch off. You think you, you really, really deserve this break. Up next, we are going to be talking about some of the specific pressures on teachers. Um, we've got in the studio with this afternoon, Dr. Beatrix Henkel, the founder of RACE. Um, and on hand to take any questions as well. Um, a message here, anonymous, and please don't feel like you need to put your name on if you'd rather not, saying, I'm a teacher in Dubai, and when I started, I was so excited. But now, at nearly 30, I'm physically and mentally worn out. We will have good days and bad days, but the pressure we're under is extreme. Now I want out. I'm looking for a completely different career. But what? Let's see what Beatrix has to say next. Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Dr. Beatrix Henkel is with us, the founder of RACE. She's worked in international education for 17 years. And now RACE, they're connecting coaches with teachers, people looking for some more support or development in their career. And Beatrix, when it comes to some of the challenges you're hearing from teachers in the region and beyond, because it's not just the UAE you work with, what are some of the, I don't want to say complaints because that sounds so negative, I guess the challenges, the pressures that you're hearing? Um, It's a very good question. And the most recent trend, what I noticed is that, uh, you know, reducing the pay. Uh, is pay cuts, is really? pay cuts is is really common all over the world. It's linked to the economy, of course, but it's very drastic, you know, because it was already not one of those high-paying jobs. Mm-hmm. And the second one is um, 
together with this, they are increasing the workload. So you will have more to do, more work in the class, more work outside, extracurricular mm -hmm. work that you have to do as a teacher and um, less time for your own well-being, less time for your family, for your free time for to your recharge <laughs> for your own kids. So and what, what, what the the moment I kind of realized just how much stress teachers were under was during the pandemic and teachers were having to teach in class, but also facilitate online learning at the same time. So effectively doing two jobs, not even in parallel, but sometimes literally at the same time. Yeah. What impact do you think the pandemic's had on teachers' mental health? It was crazy. I think uh, witnessing the transition overnight that uh, teachers had to go from some of them being less tech, tech soy to absolutely experts handling it and managing it and mm -hmm. becoming experts that was a huge source of stress but also another one was um, to manage those um, two environments the virtual and the real environment at the very same time mm -hmm. and prepare resources for for both and interacting with both it's and, immense pressure and, and parents and, and parents well. as well now, i've got i've got a very comprehensive list of pressures that's been sent in on the text line saying where to start staff being pressured to work while sign off by the doctors children show an interest in something so you need resources paperwork is so complicated it's easy just to spend your own money no cover teacher or supply means teachers use their free to teach another class um, saying uh, 45 minute corporate courses that need to be completed in our own time, constant inspection pressure, and this is schools as well as the individuals. No offense, parents <laughs> working like a dog and being paid peanuts. I've been working and teaching for 15 years, have leadership experience, and salary is poor. Yeah. It's you don't look you don't look surprised by any of this. It's so common, you know. But what we don't often talk about is. Okay, this is this. This is a fact. This is happening. It's real. What are we doing about it? What am I doing about it? And uh, what sometimes can happen, not only in schools and not only with teachers, but individuals, is that uh, we are not responding to it. We are not taking that control that I mentioned a few minutes ago back and saying, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how I'm feeling. What am I going to do about this? Well, let's go to this message here, anonymous message. And if you are a teacher who wants to share their story or indeed you've left the profession, by all means, do reach out. We'd love to hear from you. No name saying I'm a teacher in Dubai. And when I started, I was so excited about my career. At the age of nearly 30, I'm physically and mentally worn out. We all have good and bad days, but the pressure we're under is extreme. Now I want out and looking for a completely different career. But what? And I think this is a really interesting time because it sounds like people are perhaps low confidence because they don't feel like they're performing well. They're burnt out and tired, which is not the best way to be thinking about, you know, what your talents are, what your transferable skills are. So what what would you say to this listener, apart from wanting to send them a big hug and a big well done? Definitely. <laughs> let's send that. Uh, I would say that um, thanks to the pandemic, many of the teachers and not only teachers, many of the individuals started rethinking, re-examining their situation and deciding if they want to stay there and or if they want to leave and create something. Now, uh, for, for those leaving or thinking of leaving, it's very important to think about um, values. What is important to me? And this is something what the millennials are amazing at, that they think of values, they think of their priorities, and then they find a career that they want to do. Mm -hmm. So it's time to learn from them. It's time to learn from the young generation and say, so what's my dream in life? Who I want to be? 
in the future. And in terms of those transferable skills, what do you identify in teachers that could perhaps, and I'm not saying you should, you know, name specific jobs that they could do, but we you know to, I guess, help teachers identify what they could be doing because they're excellent at specific things. What have you seen in the past? You know what I've seen? Because at Trace, we also like work with those educators who left or those who are doing something part-time, some projects. And it's amazing to see the variety you can bring into your own life and to, to create something that you are enjoying. So that can be, if you look at the skills you have, it's just endless. So we, you have just listed a few minutes ago, Helen, the list that the sources of stress and where it's coming from. So if we start listing all those things that teachers are good at we are not going to stop at a thousand <laughs> oh i love that teachers we're giving you some recognition this afternoon and up next we are going to be talking about dealing with your stress uh, beatrix is fresh off a retreat um, for teachers we're going to explain a little bit about what that involved um, and some of the issues that were coming to the fore <laughs> Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Talking education, specifically the pressure that teachers are finding themselves under, increasing pressure. Expat teachers in particular, as being in the region, are at higher risk of experiencing symptoms of burnout due to being away from their social support networks, adapting to a new culture, living in a transient environment, and running the risk of feeling isolated, lonely and stressed. Dr Beatrix Henkel is with us. She's got 17 years' experience in the, the field of international education. She's also the founder of RACE. Um, Lots of messages for you, both on social media and on the text line. Jonathan saying, this may be controversial. Companies not addressing emotional needs of employees, high pressure, high expectations. Is this really any different to any other industry? On the payment piece, do a calculation on the hourly rate, taking in consideration the number of hours and days worked. A perk of being a teacher is the lifestyle advantage of extended time off. Apples to apples payment with a job that only provides 20 days off is not a solid benchmark. What do you say to that? I don't think it is controversial. I think that's absolutely fair. I think a lot of lot of people across all sorts of industries are not being supported and under increasing pressure. That's very much true. It would be in many different industries as well. But what is different uh, and what can be different in all the industries, including education, is um, your personal outlook on it. <clears throat> How you are approaching it and what's your response to it. So if uh, you start appreciating yourself, and I think this is where educators are not as appreciated because it starts with self-esteem, healthy mm. self-esteem. You appreciating the work and the dedication and the commitment and the generosity, the warmth you bring into the classroom, you bring into the learning process. And that's where it starts. I want to go to this anonymous message saying, hi, both. Thank you for this. I'm a year four teacher, 27 kids in my class, three of whom are incredibly disruptive. No TA, no support from the school, and I'm dreading going back after half term. I'm a good teacher, a hard worker, um, but I don't know how to get out of this situation. Yeah, it's so common. You know, it's one of those things that uh, really requires you to step back and re-examine the situation, reflect on it. Uh, what, what is your response? And one of the ways that uh, one of the resources we have in the school systems that we are not using as much is more collaboration with the teachers, more collaboration with parents, creating a community that is supporting each other because Kids can support each other as well. So we can rely on that as a resource as well. But are we really teaching them? Are we guiding them? Are we showing them, demonstrating them how to do that? And what we found that coaching tools and techniques and those strategies, they can really create that mindset that I'm here to grow, but I'm also here to support other people growing. I think that's an interesting point, actually, because I think 
so in some some cases, it's okay. You know, it's it's parents against the teachers, and we forget that we're really on the same side, and that the goal is raising or educating a child that's happy and secure in the school environment. And I do think the the paid for education element adds a bit of a tricky side because you get a lot of parents who feel like they're customers and they're entitled to, you know, a certain level of service and a certain level of communication. And that's one of the themes that's come through on the text line as well. Um, this is anonymous saying pressures on teachers to offer a five star service uh, when really the most important thing is quality teaching. Um, teacher observations and grading. No other profession has this so frequently. Uh, what other profession gets observed every six weeks and a ranked judgment? And coming back to your earlier point, teaching pointless paperwork. In our company, we've got to log every single interaction with parents. So let's talk about what we can control. What were some of the big takeaways from your recent retreat? You brought together some people from the education community to talk about some of their challenges, but also to build them up and empower them. What, what would you advise anyone listening today that they can do? Yes, thank you so much for this question. This retreat was amazing, amazing for several reasons. One of them is it was a collaboration between three companies. This is not the amazing part. The amazing part that all these three companies are run by former educators and it's working. So all the trainers delivering workshops during the retreat, they were also former teachers. So they know, parents. they know the challenge. Yes, they know the challenge or homeschooling parents who absolutely enjoy homeschooling. Good that was them. just so amazing <laughs> to see and so amazing to learn from them. Um, one of the things that uh, somebody who is not from education highlighted at the end of the retreat, I was surprised to see how quick teachers change from depressed, tired and exhausted to inspired, having a glowing face and just can't wait to go back to the classroom and share that positive energy with the kids. So what would, if any, I mean, I've got another message here saying, yeah. I feel disillusioned with teaching. Too much pressure these days, large class sizes. Um, I've been teaching since 2013. I'm, I'm looking for a job with a private school back in the UK. Schools here say they're private, yet have more than 20 in a class. This is not private. We need more regulation on class sizes. This isn't something in our control and this isn't in the control of a teacher yes. listening today. So what can they be changing? You're talking there about self-care and prioritizing. If yes. someone's already incredibly stretched with the time they have, what can work, Beatrix? You know, one of the uh, things I liked about the retreat was uh, during one of the workshops, um, one of the teachers delivering the workshop shared a very nice um, uh, framework, what you can do in less than five minutes, anytime. Tell me, uh, tell me now. <laughs> <laughs> Every day and and, and uh, I would use this acronym to summarize it. It would be reward because the acronym is really nice as well. And it would start with re-examine. Re-examine your situation. Choose a perspective. Choose a different perspective because most likely you are stuck in the perspective you are in. So choose a different one and choose a couple of different ones and see which one resonates with you the most. And uh, for um, um, E is just... Um, <laughs> and let me share W and it comes back. <laughs> so um, the E, oh, envision, I got it. Yeah, the envision was that just vision yourself. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be as a human being? Who do you want to be as an educator? Create that dream life. See it. If you don't see it, you cannot create it. So see it first, envision it. And the W was for WUSA, which is the, which is the expression to take deep breaths when you are stressed. So do take that deep breath and do appreciate that you are breathing and you have that gift in your life every day. Use it. And uh, A stands for appreciation. Start with gratitude. Practice mm -hmm. gratitude. Every moment, 
appreciate that you are there. You are making a difference in many people's lives. You are able to be there and to give what you are giving and what you are providing to those around you. And the other R would be for reflect. Do build it into your daily practice to reflect. You don't always have to write and walk around with a journal. You can just stop for a moment and reflect and see what went wrong. What can you do better? And the D is amazing. It's the D day, which for me always the, you know, the glorious day, that the day when you are going to make it happen. So if you use this reward acronym, and I would like to say thank you to Tamara who put this together, um, you are going to make that change. You are going to bring that change. So instead of focusing on things that are not working and uh, complaining, which is just bringing that negative energy to mm -hmm. you, start giving yourself rewards. And here is the reward. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about kind of zooming out then a little bit, you know, increasing that job satisfaction. And as you say, a lot of that comes from within and falling back in love with what you're good at. You wouldn't be in that job if you weren't good at it. And I think we often forget you know, we're, we're our best selves, or we should be when we're at work, we're supposed to be doing what we're good at. But what about, what do you think needs to change about making teaching a more attractive long-term career and reducing teacher turnover, which has an impact not only on the teacher, but on students learning as well. If you could wave a magic wand and change education, not just in the UA, but internationally, for the betterment of both teachers and students, Beatrix, what would you do? Um, I would probably start with that individual, that individual who understands and already is aware that a change is needed in that environment. And uh, once you bring in that change, then things will change around you. But it, it requires a different perspective, a different outlook on the environment you are in. I could go on and on about systems and pointing outwards, but I really think that our focus should be who we are and focusing on what we can do and what is in our control instead of blame and... Um, complain and many other things that is just pointing out because those are systems and systems are like individuals they well, can be stuck as well i think we're going to be f facing a big old teacher shortage um looking at the uk and actually a message here saying unfortunately teaching is a commercial entity my wife has started teaching in charge of 30 kids in a class good grief up to five classes a day, no support and teachers leaving like flies. And I think I absolutely take on board what you're saying in terms of changing mindset. But I think, honestly, no job is worth your mental health to, exactly. to that extent. And if, if it is getting to the point where it's affecting you and, you know, you're having intrusive thoughts and you dread work and believe me, I've been there and you hate a job. It's the worst feeling in the world. You just want your mum to write you a note and say... Right. When do you think it's time to leave and say, do you know what, this isn't for me? And maybe it's teaching in a different way, but going into yeah. that classroom is not serving don't, me. Don't wait until you have that feeling, I don't want to go to work. Notice early on, be aware of those signs, early symptoms. When you, have the, when you are losing that enthusiasm, when you are losing that spark, it's time. Mm -hmm. It's time for you to think. You don't have to leave education. You can still stay in the field, but do it differently. Bring that passion back to your teaching. Bring that passion back to you and education. Or if you want to leave, you will use, as you mentioned, the transferable skills. And you have many, many of them if you are a teacher. So it's all about you. It's all available for you. It's just you doing something about it. For anyone that does want to contact you and, and be connected with some of the coaches who do exactly that, talk about you know, career coaching, you know, mindset, what's the best way of getting in touch with you and everyone at RACE? 
it's coaching for education. This is how you find us on the internet. This is our Instagram handle. And um, you will find many, many supportive coaches who are there to have a conversation and uh, ready to offer support. And we have several events because we come from education. We have a huge, huge desire to give back to the teachers community. So we would love to hear from you. And you find us at Coaching for Education for with a number. <laughs> and there is um, a retreat coming up in February for anyone that does want to get out of Dubai and uh, kick back with some teachers who have probably been there, seen it, done it and need a bit of support as well. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Really, for really do appreciate it. Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Now, research led, this is in the US, by a researcher professor called Katie Kazamanil at the University of Minnesota, found that in the US, less than half of breastfeeding mothers were able to find private places beside bathrooms to express milk at work. And 40% of respondents reported having access to both adequate accommodation and time for breastfeeding were 2.3 times more likely to report exclusively breastfeeding their child in the first six months of infancy. Perihan Abuzaid is the co-founder CEO of Perica, her um, colleague Sophie Smith, um, not with us this afternoon. And Perihan here to explain a little bit about the solution that they are offering. And I would love to hear from you women out there about what was offered to you if you decided to go back to work after having a baby and decided to continue breastfeeding. Um, Perihan, are you um, are you ready to hear some of the, the messages I've had on this? I'm ready to be shocked. I, do you know what the sad <laughs> thing is? I don't think you are going to be shocked. So let me know on 4001. You can contact us on the um, the ARN Play app. You can also give us a call. This is Sana. Hi, Helen. Um, so I've had to express milk in very, very odd places. Uh, at work, we were asked, I was given a spot in the storeroom, right in the corner. They put a chair and they're like, oh, these are the boxes. You can keep your stuff on top of the boxes. And that's the chair you sit and express your milk. Um, and then they made a wall of boxes as well. <laughs> so when I hear the door knob opening, I have to quickly cover myself up because someone can just come in. Oh, it's just horrifying. It's horrifying. I mean... I'm not going to talk about maternity leave because I think that's a topic for another day. But I stopped breastfeeding when I went back to work after three months because, first of all, I didn't have the time and there, there certainly wasn't the place. But let's let's have a look at some of the other messages I got. A cupboard with a window. As a teacher at an outstanding school in Dubai, I had 20 minutes in a storeroom. Um, a room every time um, I had to book it. So I sat in a cupboard. Um, we had um, actually we've had a couple of positive ones. And my current company has a dedicated nursing room with fridges, um, a maternity room to pump. We have a new mother's room at our organisation with ice boxes and refrigerators. This is the minority, though. This is the real minority. Storeroom, prayer rooms, a bathroom stall, a server room with a rickety chair. I said no and took over a meeting room. Um, what have you been hearing since looking into this? Honestly, hearing this just gives me palpitations. Helen. It's it's, uh, it's sad because no mother should go through such an experience, and especially it's such a and the most natural thing, you know, one of the most natural human acts. I've heard so many things. The storeroom is not the first time that I hear game rooms. Um, I heard uh, once. Uh, hiding in a meeting room with the glass door. So just give your back to the door so nobody can see as if like people are not smart enough to know what's going on and people would not walk in. Um, but it's mostly the, to the toilets or the bathrooms that people sit on. I had to do that when I went back to work. I sat on toilets for months pumping. 
It's the thing we wouldn't you wouldn't choose to eat your eat your lunch in a toilet. Yeah. So why are we expecting to pump and Absolutely. Tell us then about how and why you identified this as being such a, a pain point for so many women. Yeah, um, I think it honestly started with me becoming a mother in my 30s and just like going through that pain and then meeting Sophie and connecting on that and hearing her talk about that idea as a solution. And I jumped on it. She was like, we want to turn this into a company and we need somebody to come and lead it. I was like, I'm going through that struggle. In fact, the first time that I met Sophie, she saw me struggling with my daughter changing her on a table because there was no like bathroom that had a changing uh, uh, table or anything. And then we talked and we realized that the numbers from an economic perspective actually make it a bigger problem that people think it's not just a good to have thing. In fact, the Middle East loses more than $20 billion a year due to not breastfeeding and Women don't breastfeed because they don't, part of it, because some of them don't, you know, make the choice, which I'm all for, but the ones that want to breastfeed, they're not provided with the proper environment. Uh, So I decided that, you know, I don't want to go through that struggle again, and I wanted to do something about it. And that's what Sophie and I did. So tell us a bit about Perica, about these pods. Can you describe them? Can you paint us a picture? Yeah, imagine if if you've ever seen a first class cabin, even in pictures on <laughs> <Only> airlines. <laughs> this is the kind of experience that we wanted to offer the mothers. We thought about every single little detail to the extent of what goes on the right, what goes on the left, uh, the height of everything. We probably sat on like 30 chairs in order to decide on what is the perfect nursing chair. So basically, it's a standalone a nursing pod that's spacious enough to um, fit a chair with a footrest and a, a stroller and also a toddler corner because we realize, especially if you're going to the mall, usually you have another kid with you and you want you don't want them to distract you. We have dimmable lights, we have silent ventilation, we have built-in speakers. So if you want to and a tablet, so if you want to play. Um, relaxing music for you and your baby if you want to like consume content um, we have for the workplace version we have a fridge so you don't store your milk next to everybody's lunch mm-hmm. I once had my pumped milk catch uh, the you know a whiff of a meal of a oh, no. <laughs> so you don't want that either and also sometimes like women don't feel comfortable like having their milk on display um, in, in the common fridge and some places don't even have a common kitchen especially during COVID time with the restrictions so we really thought of creating this experience to make the woman feel very comfortable because we understand that the mental health is extremely important and this is what we want to offer. We wanted to offer, like we wanted to have a, a relaxing environment. And there's a very straight line correlation between stress and breast milk production. If you're oh, stressed, that is going down. Um, We are taking your questions on this as well. Let us know um, about your experiences of where you have breastfed or expressed milk in the past. The good, the bad um, and we've had the downright bizarre as well. We're going to talk next about how this is going to work in practice. We've got Perihan Abuzaid, the co-founder CEO of Paracare with us here in the studio, ready to take your questions and she's she's back from Jitex. I want to know, how did it go? Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Perihan Abuzaid is the founder and CEO of Pericare. They are offering nursing rooms for mothers who are always on the move. So comfortable pods that are private and secure, hygienic 
unlike the bathroom stall that so many of you seem to have found yourself in, um, designed by and built by mothers. We've had a couple of questions about the where's and the how's and the size as well. So you talking earlier about it kind of being like a first class pod. Um, how big is it and where do you see the application in kind of real life, you know, and the way we move around the city? Yeah, so we actually offer two solutions. One of them is the pod, and that's ideal for uh, workplaces as well as um, commercial places, public places like hospitals, malls, airports. Um, And obviously, like if you are a big company and you have enough space. So the measurement for the pod is three meters uh, wide by one and a half depth. So it can fit in any corridor. It's not that uh, big, but it's big enough on the inside to fit a stroller as well as the mother and the toddler. If there is a toddler, if she's not just pumping. Um, And the height is also two and a half. So it's it's not too much for you know the standards of the buildings here but we understand that some companies may not have actually that extra space so what we do is room conversion which basically if you give us like a meeting room regardless of its design or anything we'll convert it into exactly the same experience that you would see at the pod and the good thing about both solutions they're done within six hours what? so literally give us six hours the space is created for you and is it a you know you need to buy this you you know because we don't, you, you know, what kind of commitment are we talking I suppose is what I'm asking. So uh, companies can buy the pod uh, or you know buy the room conversion service. Both of both of them come with six months of maintenance for free, but they can also rent it. Or if they ha- if there's like a special event or something, and they know that they're going to have a lot of mothers for just like the weekend or a whole week, then they can also rent it for just that uh, space. And it's fully customizable. You can brand it from the outside. You can put artwork. <laughs> really? You can put like grass on it it's very easy to customize and I've, brand. S- I've seen I've seen it and yeah. it's beautiful which is never something I thought I'd say about a nursing pod um, <laughs> you were at Jitex last week yeah um, how did it go it was extremely overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> it's my first Jitex uh, I was honestly one on one part I was extremely energized by the amount of innovation there and the one thing that I loved so much is it was in a way a validation that we're moving towards customer experience. Mm -hmm. Every other stand was a company that's creating a new technology to enhance the customer experience and that's what we're all about. We want businesses to think that mothers and nursing mothers are customers and they need a better experience. They're employees, they need a better experience and that's the way to retain them and to have them become loyal to you. So I was happy to see that but I was definitely overwhelmed by the number of people and number of companies and, and the conversations honestly as well a lot of them were very fruitful and in terms of response from I guess mums and you've had some orders now as well what's that like yeah we had our first pod actually installed at N5 so I'd love for anybody to come and actually check it out and tell us about the experience we're in N5 tech in Knowledge Village we're going to be at design week so mothers can actually come and experience it for themselves and we're rolling out slowly but surely in different buildings if you know a place I would love to actually have invite people to say okay we want the pod there and we'll reach out to those organizations or those entities Uh, but the response has been overwhelming in the sense that mothers are like how come this never existed before and I ask myself the same question where were you five years ago when I had a little when I had a little (laughs) one Um, going to the text line um, uh, Mary saying I feel deeply uncomfortable 
asking um, the all-male security to leave the room that's been allocated to me every day. It's really important to me to continue breastfeeding. Um, anonymous Mesh saying, thank you for raising this. I'm returning to work in one and a half months. I want to continue breastfeeding, um, but my only option is the disabled toilets. It's just no. so anger-making. It really, really Please is. Please connect us to your company. We'll yeah. try to convince them to create that space for you. Um, no woman should ever sit on a toilet to pump or feed. That That is not, that's indignifying. It's not right. For any bosses out there, whether you are looking at, you know, taking on a pod but or not just try and have these conversations internally make women feel supported and valued when they're coming back to work after what's often a really really short amount of time which is a conversation for another day when they could be feeling vulnerable like they're not doing a good job at home or at work and really need your support so please don't shy away from these conversations because they really do need to be had and for anyone that is looking to explore this whether they're organizing as you say a sporting event a concert um they're looking to support women coming back into the workplace after having a baby what's the best way of getting in touch with you um instagram uh pericare me or my email my email is peri at peri.care <laughs> so it's so easy i would love to hear from anybody and everybody and start, start if, that conversation. If you want details, do by all means drop me a little message. I'd be very happy to connect you. And I do urge you to go and check them out because they are a thing of beauty. You've done a wonderful job, I think, in, in starting a much overdue conversation. Um, and as I said, whether people decide to go down that route or just have conversations internally in the company, this is something that we really need to be addressing more. Perihan, thank you so much for joining us. It's thank been you an absolute pleasure. Me. Might see you at Design Week. Just yeah, come and have a nice, wait. Just come and have a sit. Just have a bit of quiet time. <laughs> Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. New study has found that anxiety during pregnancy can lead to premature birth. And I'm sure, as you realise, pregnancy can be an incredibly stressful time for a couple. You go through a huge range of feelings. And yes, there's excitement about that baby joining, but there can also be feelings of worry. It's a, it's a big change, bound to be overwhelming. And some anxiety, of course, is completely quote unquote normal. Um, and it can be argued that, you know, Everybody will feel it to some extent during a pregnancy, but sometimes it can tip over into dominating your thoughts. So we're exploring pregnancy anxiety this afternoon. If you'd love to share your experiences or indeed any questions, Pashmika, psychologist from Thrive Wellbeing Centre, is joining us live. She has a special interest in supporting people going through fertility issues, PCOS and maternal mental health challenges as well. How are you, Pashmi? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I find this this topic a bit upsetting because I definitely had probably more pregnancy anxiety than I was expecting. And I think it, it mm-hmm. comes back to do a little bit of, you know, what you expect versus what you actually experience around pregnancy, birth and that kind of fourth trimester newborn. I think a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be plain sailing. But it's often far, far, from, far from the case. Can I ask you, what are some of the... Well, first of all, how do you define actually pregnancy anxiety in the sense that some is somewhat normal, but some can be problematic? Mm-hmm. See, it's, it's very normal to be conscious about your pregnancy, especially if it's your first one. More so if it's after some difficult experiences, such as miscarriages or difficulty conceiving. Um, it gets anything gets worse when it keeps you from living your life, doing things the way you have to do and you plan to do for yourself and for others around you. What Basic is sim- Sorry, go on. Go on. 
<laughs> Basic symptoms of anxiety usually are um, racing, heartbeat, restlessness, um, irritability. A lot of people also talk about crying, shallow breathing, muscular pain. So these things are very commonly visible, pregnancy or no pregnancy. And yeah, that, that's, that's what um, gives a clear indication that this is getting difficult. What are some of the worries that you might hear from some of your clients? You know, what, what, when they, you know, come to you and you start to unpick a little bit about what this anxiety might be about, what are you hearing? A lot of people, uh, when they're pregnant, they, they worry about safety in their pregnancy. How can we make sure that everything goes fine? How can we make sure that the baby is safe? A lot of people talk about their delivery anxiety. How is the delivery process going to be? How painful is it going to be? Um, what if there are any complications? Which process should I choose? There is also concern about after birth child care. Um, how, uh, especially if it's the first one, uh, if they have no idea about how to take care of a baby, mm-hmm. there's a lot of anxiety around that as well. Oh, you're, bringing you're, it, you're bringing it all back, Pashmi. You're bringing it all back. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get what, what my husband called scanxiety. So before every single, and we're so lucky here in the UAE that, you know, health, health insurance allows you to go and have regular scans. You know, I think, it, you know, friends in the UK who might get a scan at 12 weeks to, yes, confirm you're pregnant. And then mm-hmm. maybe at 20 weeks to have a look at, you know, an in-depth look at organs and, you know, gender, if, if that's something you want to find out. And here, you yeah. know, it was it was every month and perhaps even a little bit earlier, but I would sit in the waiting room just going, please let there be a heartbeat, please let everything be okay. You know, you know, just so worried. And actually Maria's asking about anxiety before appointments as well. So this is clearly something yeah. that's on people's mind. Have you heard this from clients too? Indeed, indeed. Especially with COVID coming in, mm. uh, things got even worse. I delivered my baby in the middle of the lockdown. So it was... <laughs> You lived this. It was, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, are some are some women perhaps more at risk of anxiety at this time? If is there any, pre, mm-hmm. any predisposition to mental health problems or anxiety outside of this specific situation? Um, there are possibilities of predisposition. Um, one of the most important, most impactful predisposition is any challenges in previous experiences in terms of uh, conceiving or miscarriages. Once the person conceives after all those experiences, it's hard for them. And, and there is a very high possibility of anxiety coming in into the picture. Also, if someone has experienced anxiety, general anxiety, health anxiety before, there is a possibility of it showing up during pregnancy. We have got a number of messages for you, Pashmi. We're going to keep you with us, um, both anonymous messages. And as I always say, if you want to get in touch and just share your story or indeed you've got a query, a concern for any of our experts, please don't hesitate to reach out. And you can do that on 4001. You can use your ARN Play app or indeed the WhatsApp. No name asking when it comes to this message next saying, my first pregnancy was amazing. I was naive and never thought anything other um, than about the baby coming after seeing those two lines. Unfortunately, experiences since have left me an anxious mess and all I can think about 
all day is something going wrong. I've had I had two miscarriages in six months, one failed transfer, and now a month pregnant. But I just can't be happy about it and expecting the worst. What does our psychologist have to say? We're coming to you next. Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Talking pregnancy anxiety now, very real for an awful lot of women. And Pashmi Kaur, a psychologist at Thrive Wellbeing Centre, joining us. She does have a special interest in supporting uh, couples going through infertility issues, uh, maternal mental health challenges as well. Um, A number of messages for you, Pashmi. No name on this one saying, I've recently worked with a mum who clearly has postnatal depression, but still so much shame around the issue and, and, and feels unable to get help. I think that that shame actually is very real for an awful lot of people because whether it's postnatal or you know prenatal, as we're talking now, we we see this kind of romanticised, almost specialised idea of you know the ideal mother. Oh, I'm you know I'm 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 blooming in pregnancy and loving every minute. Or here's my perfect cherub and everything is perfect. And when the reality inevitably does not match up to these expectations, there's a huge gap there that can be really dangerous for for an awful lot of an awful lot of women and I've, I've got a message more of a question for you here from um, an anonymous listener saying my first pregnancy was amazing I was naive and never thought about anything um, after seeing those two lines unfortunately experiences since have left me an anxious mess and all I could think about all day is something going wrong I had two miscarriages in six months one failed transfer but now a month pregnant but I just can't be happy about it and always expect the worst. Oh, if I could hug you, I would. Um, Pashmi, what would you say to this listener? This this makes complete sense because of because of the miscarriages and a failed transfer. It increases the anxiety of something going wrong. It's completely understandable. What she can do is, um, in fact, we have a lot of resources, a lot of tools and techniques to use to take care of this anxiety. Um, it's on Thrive social media. We have a lot of free tools um, and information on our website as well. Um, I think therapy can also help. Um, There are a lot of workbooks out there. So um, these things can be helpful. What about talking to somebody without fear of judgment? Because I think that shame is is also, you know, I feel guilty that I, you know, I'm not happy about a pregnancy that's much longed for, or, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit this to my partner. You know, where do you think that kind of talk therapy can play a role? See, it's 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 always helpful to talk to someone. The only risk with talking to uh, a friend or a well-wisher is that a lot of feedback that comes from them is based on their own personal experience. Yeah. Um, and it's it's important to have a very neutral way of how to evaluate my thoughts, how to take care of my physical condition, the muscle, muscular tension and everything. Um, that is the most crucial part to be able to deal with anxiety. Otherwise, it can lead to increased anxiety based on their experiences. And what tends to happen um, after the birth, Pashmin? What have you what have you seen with clients? It depends. Uh, a lot of clients uh, who can get some support after birth can deal with things. It, it gets easier if there is support. But the, if there is no support, if they have to struggle alone with, or if there is a complication after birth, 
things get very difficult. It can be traumatic. It can be um, the anxiety shoots up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's subjective. Any advice for anyone, um, whether it's a partner looking to support um, their wife right now or anyone who's feeling anxious about their pregnancy? What what would be your kind of number one takeaway? Um, for, for the partners or someone who is... Um, both. Who is pregnant? Give me well, both. <laughs> in, okay, okay. For both, actually, it's going to be the same. Usually the pregnancy or the anxiety uh, is... It comes through the thoughts and it impacts our body physically. So as long as they can have some exercise, they can relax their muscles in any way, that will help. And working on their thoughts, evaluating their thoughts, checking what's, what's valid, what's real and what's not will help. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if they can find someone who can help them with that, perfect. There are therapists out there they can reach out to. There are workbooks. So self-care is also a very important thing because with anxiety, with any kind of mental health um, issue, self-care is the first thing that goes out the window. Mm. Um, Once that comes back, a lot of calmness, a lot of sanity comes back in, a lot of control. You feel that you have control over situation. Pashmi, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing just how normal this is you know to have these worries and I think Mm -hmm. and a worthy reminder that as you say when it starts to overtake your day-to-day life the way you function then it is absolutely the time to get some help Um, and you can be found at Thrive Wellbeing and for anyone that does want to take advantage of some of those resources you mentioned what's the best way of accessing those? Uh, You can go on to the social media look for Thrive Wellbeing Centre you can also go on our website thrive.ae www.thrive.ae Pashmi, thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. And if you do want those links, I'd be very happy to send them over. Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Talking devices now, and the United Nations Public Health Agency released its first guidelines a few years ago looking at screen time for kids under five years old. And it recommends that children under the age of two have no sedentary screen time, including video games, TV exposure, and those aged two to four have no more than an hour each day. But what about school age kids? The pandemic taught us well, a few things. Anything, it's that screens are going nowhere when it comes to education. And many schools here in the UAE actually trying to implement a one-to-one technology initiative. So it means each student is going to be equipped with an online learning device such as an iPad. So for some, this is hugely exciting. You know, students getting their own device at a young age, they can... Learn to be tech savvy, prepare them for college, independent learning, probably careers that we don't even know exist yet. Uh, So there are, of course, many advantages. But we also want to talk about some of the safety aspects that we need to be aware of. Um, And joining us live in the studio is Valentina Tereda. She is the founder um, and an integrative architect. Fascinating um, idea and job here at Energy and Space. So all about your well-being through your environment. Um, Valentina, for anyone who is not familiar with energy and space, like how do you describe what you do? Well, what we do is simply we improve um, people's health by improving their environment, their built environment, because we are a product of our environment and this is uh, a science, it's not a myth. Mm-hmm. 
And this this extends all the way from, you know, building and painting materials to what's in your home. And of course, you know, we're talking now about technology as well. And you had a bit of a shock. You've got a six-year-old daughter and you were told she'd need to, you know, bring in and use an iPad every day at school. What was your reaction to that? Well, for me, um, first of all, I, I couldn't believe it because we as parents, since our kids are born, um, we try to minimize the screen time for obvious reasons. Now, we don't need to be doctors to understand, you know, it's intuitive. Kids need to be in nature, play with their hands, with other children, socialize. And um, we try like our best to keep them out of the iPad. And I thought, OK, now what? What do we do? How do we then work with the school to mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, they use it in a, in a safe way? It's a bit of a mixed message for our kids as well, isn't it? You know, at home we're yeah. going, okay, you know, you can have half an hour of screen time and then you've got a teacher and a person of authority going, actually, this this is a, a positive thing. And that's what yeah. that's the thing. I'm not. I'm certainly not about demonising technology or scaremongering, yeah. but I think your point is a really interesting one about balance, yes. but also putting some things in place that we might not be aware of to kind of best protect ourselves as well in our sleep um, and our children, their mental health. Um, what have some of your kind of findings been, like some really practical ways that we can change or adjust these devices to, yeah. to kind of help us a little bit more? Well, um, before we go into that, I would like just to touch on why um, we need to control the use of the iPads because most people are not aware that iPads and many other technology, they emit what is called electromagnetic fields, uh, which are invisible frequencies that are emitted by uh, devices that have Wi-Fi, uh, data and Bluetooth. Um, These type of frequencies have been uh, classified as class 2B carcinogenic by the World Health Organization. Class 2B means that they've been found to be carcinogenic on animals, but they don't have enough testing on humans as yet because these amount of frequencies are pretty recent. Mm-hmm. So you need at least 20 years of, uh, you know, of exposure to be able, be able to determine um, the health risk. They've done a lot of experiments on rats, which they've shown um, you know, brain damage uh, in the cells of the brain of the rats. Uh, they found that our blood actually clots under the microscope when for people that are exposed to electromagnetic fields. Um, and these specific ones are called microwaves frequencies. Mm-hmm. And also microwaves, what they do, they penetrate our body. And especially for kids, because they're still developing and their brain is softer, they enter our body, they keep damaging our cells and they break the cell's membrane, creating an imbalance of calcium. So they found also a connection between um, exposure, high exposure to microwave radiations uh, to autism and ADHD. So there is a lot of research. And just to give some references uh, for people to check, they can check the Environmental Health Trust, which is, uh, this is in US. There is FIRE um, Medical for UK references. And uh, there is the American Academy of Pediatrics in uh, in US, which also recommend very uh, reduced exposure. Valentina, you've got a couple of gadgets in front of you, one of which is an iPad. Um, what's the other one? What does it do? Uh, the other one is um, a electromagnetic fields meter that measure the microwaves frequencies emitted by devices. 
Um, so I can demonstrate Let's have um, a listen. because these frequencies are invisible. We cannot uh, see them, touch them or hear them. But with this meter, we can actually hear them. So at the moment, my iPad is on airplane mode. So Wi-Fi, Bluetooth are completely off. Now I will turn on uh, my meter. So you will start hearing some um, frequencies, which are um, from general radio, radio frequencies of the space. So I will turn on the meter and then I will turn on the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and you will hear the difference. Wow. So I think that's enough. That, to, yeah. yeah, we won't subject anyone to any... any <laughs> but that, but how sudden was that? As soon as you turned off the yeah, airplane as, mode, yeah. As soon as you activate Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, what happens is that the device um, tries to connect. So that's why even when we don't use iPads and we keep in our homes, charging on the couch next to the bed, they must be on airplane mode. Otherwise, they will keep emitting even when not in use. So this is very important. A message here from Jasmine saying, "What about blue light emission?" Yes, and that's another concern, um, especially in young children, because what happens is that with the blue light exposure, um, what it does, it damages the retina of the eyes while the eyes are developing. And also, um, because our bodies are um, built to regulate the sleeping mm -hmm. with the sunlight, so at the moment um, we start using all these iPads during the day, our body gets confused because during when the sunset is coming, um, we're still looking at the iPads exposed to blue light. It's a source of light that's confusing the brain. The circadian rhythm is upside yeah. down. So what happens is that what does, that does is that it doesn't allow our body to release melatonin. And then what happens with kids, it's a lot of sleeping issues as well. Mm. So that's really affecting the sleep-wake cycle and the vision. So you're suggesting um, we don't use iPads when they're charging and when, um, when they're in the home. So, yes. how, so I'm just trying to think about kind of how my, how my kids use iPads. It's often for watching movies, like in, you know, so what about that? Download it first? Yes. So very practical solutions yeah, tell us. because we need to learn how to live with technology in a safer way. So first is uh, use tablets and iPads on airplane mode. So you download all the games that they play with, all the movies that they want to watch. And then once it's downloaded, you just switch everything off, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, very important. Uh, so this is completely safe. It's just a, a device and a battery. And then, of course, do not use the iPad while charging because that's give out electric fields, which is another type of frequencies. And then also you can set up a time limit on the iPad for the kids. This is called downtime. So you can set a password and say, OK, between 4 p.m. until, I don't know, when they're back from school, 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock, um, they cannot use it. So they don't take it in the morning when they wake up and start with it. Mm -hmm. And they literally cannot do anything if you set up this. And also uh, you can uh, keep it on night shift mode. Uh, reducing blue light exposure, which is a setting of the of the iPad. Um, other recommendations is, uh, for example, you can buy a blue light filter to be placed on the iPad that protects the eyes, uh, which is really, really helpful. And uh, there are also some um, glasses for blue light for children, 
which is also an extra layer of protection. Blue light uh, glasses, they should be, you know, the orange yellowish ones. These are the ones that really protect the most. They don't look pretty for adults, but I think kids will enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they will, if, especially if it means that we're, you know, feeling a bit a bit more comfortable in their iPad use if they put, put some specs on. Yeah. Thank you so much, because I think it is really important to understand what we can and can't control. You know, I think yeah. schools are doing an amazing job in terms of integrating technology. Um, and when you fed back to your daughter's school, have they made any changes? Uh, yes. So our school was really great and responsive. And um, also a dear friend of mine, she really helped and talked to them. She did all the work with them and even um, she gave them one of these meters that I have so that the IT team of the school can actually measure. And she taught them how to measure different areas, how to to make them realize you don't need all of these Wi-Fi routers because these are the same frequencies as the iPads. So they're now looking into each areas and adjusting the Wi-Fi router's locations to be as far as possible for the children, remove what they don't need, and then also um, explain to all the teachers and the staff that the, uh, the iPads should be on airplane mode when kids don't use them because they have them on their desk. Maybe they're doing something else. Mm -hmm. So they have to educate. It's just about habits. And um, like my daughter, she knows that, you know, she knows airplane mode. Okay. She puts it off. So it's really building habits and it's very um, possible and feasible and, and easy. Valentina, thank you so much. Really do appreciate your insights on this one. Um, let us know how you feel about iPads in schools and equally if you are a school, what kind of provisions do you put in place? Valentina Tereda, founder, um, integrate architect at Energy and Space. Family Matters. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We are increasingly aware of the impact our physical health has on our mental health and vice versa. But even more so when you're struggling with a chronic illness, even life-threatening illness. Uh, Javaria Malik is joining us now. She's got spinal muscular atrophy and joining us to share her journey and as a life coach as well, how she helps other people in similar positions. I think, first of all, I just want to say thank you for coming to the studio. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you might have faced today even joining us? Hello, Helen. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. And uh, regarding the condition, when I talk about spinal muscular atrophy, it is a life-threatening condition. And when someone says that they have spinal muscular atrophy, it's a world full of loss for them. Mm -hmm. Then for those who have unconscious mind. Well, I want to learn a little bit more about your condition and, and what you're living with. Can you explain a little bit about how it came to be? Were you born with this? Yes, I was born with this. And uh, in my late 20s, I was diagnosed professionally by the doctors. Okay, so that's a long time. Exactly. And uh, it's been now five, six years that I was diagnosed. Yeah, five, five years. And officially by the doctors before I get to know that I have some condition because my hand was shaking a lot. I couldn't walk and I couldn't even hold a cup of water and I couldn't even feed myself. The condition was getting very worse and I cried a lot that there is something which is hindering me. There is something coming in terms of my career as well. Mm -hmm. As I started my business in Pakistan uh, in 2011 and I couldn't work, it's about women accessories. And uh, it was a challenge coming that I couldn't type. My pink finger couldn't lift up. And then I cried. My parents said that, okay, maybe, you know, you're a chubby kid because that's what I was listening from school, that you are a chubby kid and you are a lazy kid. And that became presumably the Ex stories you were exactly, telling yourself. And I, exactly, definitely. That was my belief that, you know, 
because of this condition, I'm never going to find anyone. And I will remain like this. My condition is going to get worse. It is a progressive condition. It is a genetic medical condition. And uh, it's a muscular and nerves both. So what does life look like now in terms of what you can and can't do? You're living independently here in Dubai, which I think is amazing. But in terms of the limitations that are very real rather than kind of put upon you by others. Tell us a little bit about your day-to-day life. I won't say that it was really easy for me to accept. But I remember in 2019, I fell down in my toilet in Dubai here and uh, I was living independently alone. Nobody knew that I I was just taking a shower and half of my body was in the tub and half was outside. And it was me. And I said, of course, I don't I, I cannot get up on my own. So what I need to do, there was a towel, luckily, you know, on my side. And I just grabbed the towel and my hands grip is not that much strong. Still, I tried to push, lift my shoulders a little bit up, drag And uh, it was literally I was crying that why me? It took 30 minutes to come out of the toilet and I was dragging myself and coming out. And I literally I cried that why me, God, why me? Do I always have to suffer in terms of my career, my relationship and my health? Everything, you know, is on stake. And then I remember my dad saying that you need to remember everything, that there is some reason behind it and just be grateful no matter you fall down. And from that day, you know, I started being grateful. So that was a real flip of the switch. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like you were kind of fighting the diagnosis or fighting the perception of it for a long time. Do you feel like you're more accepting of it now? I was, yeah. The thing I really like about this is that I was fighting before. I was trying to defeat this condition, but now I'm friends with it. That, okay, you are here. I know you are my worst enemy, but I won't let you win. Mm -hmm. So this condition is a progressive condition, but there are some treatments which, you, which can slow down the progression. It's like uh, you have to do strength training exercises. A lot of people don't know. I've been training the therapists, physiotherapists in UK for this uh, spinal muscular atrophy. That how they need to treat people who have this SMA. Tell us a little bit about those limiting beliefs that you were told growing up, maybe you were telling yourself, and how are you changing that narrative? Well, I have seen that as well. When you have this kind of condition, making friends is horrible. People don't want to be your friends because they cannot enjoy with you. And uh, then I start buying friends that, okay, let's go somewhere, I'll treat you. And I knew that those weren't my real friends. And that was my belief that I will never find true friends because I have to buy friends and nobody will be my friend. And then I remember my teachers telling me that I am the laziest kid in the school. And because I don't understand things easy way. It's not that because I'm dumb from mine. It's because I have some different strategies to understand. Mm -hmm. If you will be more clear, more technical, I can understand, but not the simple things. Mm -hmm. And this I got to know two years back that I cannot understand the easy way. I, you know, if you will explain me in detail, then I will get you to do know. it your way. Yeah. And now it sounds like you've got the confidence to speak up and say, this is how I need things. Yeah, so Alhamdulillah. The, and, you know, the thing over here, what I have uh, faced in Dubai, like when I go to the awards ceremony or to the events for the networking, I called them before and I said that, you know, are there any stairs? Yeah, there are stairs, only two stairs. 
but two stairs I need to climb, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I climb? It's only two stairs, ma'am. Okay, can you just climb Burj Khalifa while standing on the floor? So that's also, you know, that's just the one step. Tell us a little bit about the coaching that you do, because you do a lot of work with people who might have also some life-limiting illnesses or conditions. How do you help them with their mindset? I always believe in being conscious. Even while I'm speaking, I have to be very conscious because our subconscious mind has been, you know, diagnosed like in the way it's, you know, in our genes, it is like that. All the traumas and everything is coming in our genes. So when I am dealing with my clients, first of all, they say that, you know, I have a condition. Are you sure that with the exercise, we will get fine? You need to take, you need to see. For me, it's in November 10th, it's going to be 10 years in my gym, 10 years of training. And I'm really excited. I worked for it. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to work for it? If you are, of course, because you have to be very conscious in choosing your words. Okay, I have the condition, but I'm not. Why do we have to categorize this? That I have, I have seen people who are really happy when someone called them that you are disabled. I'm not disabled. And I don't want anyone to, you know, classify me as a disabled. Why do I need to? And especially I have an invisible medical condition. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to different parks and resorts over here. I, want, I cannot walk. They said that, uh, do you have POD? I said, I didn't knew that I need to have that people of determination and I don't like this word. Why do I need to have that card? That is my right. And then I said, do I need to show a demo? <laughs> and then he was like, I said, a pregnant woman passed by and I said that just because she has a tummy, you let her go. When I am telling, because you cannot see, do you want me to show you the demo? I will fall down and you will, you know, lift me up. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, okay, I'm sorry, then you can go. So it's really challenging in terms of airports, Going to an event, thinking about even taking clients is challenging. That sometimes your body doesn't have strength. Are you in pain at all? Sorry? Are you in pain at all? It is a pain, but that's what I'm telling my mind, that there is no pain. It sounds like you've come on an incredible journey of acceptance with yourself and I guess the wider world as well you know trying to challenge some of their perceptions and it sounds like you're doing it because I'm sure for a long time you were told you probably could never live independently. You know, I uh, believed that this is a progressive condition and uh, I will be like this forever. There are are some changes in my body, negative and positive both, but I have to focus on positive. To be conscious, I believe you need to change the attitude towards accepting your pain. What are your hopes for the future? I, my future is going to be the best. That's what I keep telling. And if you keep telling yourself, you will. And still now it is amazing going on everything perfect. So why do I have to complain when I know that I have this condition while focusing on this? Why cannot I focus on the things which I can control? You're amazing. Thank you for that. I think everyone can learn a few lessons from you. If anyone does want to get in touch with you, whether it's for coaching for themselves or someone in their life that might need support or perhaps a different perspective or just a dose of your positivity, what's the best way of getting in touch? I have my website, it's www.javeriamalik.com and then I have my Instagram page, it's coach.javeria. Thank you so much for coming in. As you said, no easy feat to get yourself into the studio and I really do appreciate your time and 
your attitude. Um, a message here saying your guest is a definition of people of determination and a role model for others facing challenges in the world. Determin- so determination. Much, I can, yeah. Warren, I can tell you by the look in her eyes, which you can't <laughs> see right now, there's... Her future is going to be the best. Thank you so much for coming in. You're an absolute superstar. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.